Hi, I'm Amy. Hi, I'm Roisin. Hi, I'm Tara, and welcome to Yonic Boom, the podcast where three deadly feminist midwives explore women's reproductive and sexual health. Hi. Hello. Welcome Hello. Back, guys. Nice Greetings. to see you and hear you. <laughs> How are we all? It's Great, been a minute. Yeah. yeah, it's been a long time. Just, mm-hmm. It's been a little while. Yeah, our last episode was um, our COVID in pregnancy episode. Was it? <laughs> <laughs> was it? What was it? Did I think so. It was either that or a vaginal birth. I think I just wanted to bring that up because I just wanted to say that obviously um, <laughs> uh, research is uh, minute by minute. Um, it's very fast moving. That episode may not be relevant now. Um, please don't <laughs> listen to it. <laughs> I don't think I've ever listened back to that episode. I think I might have forgotten we did that. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking at my Spotify here. I actually did listen to it. And then the next one that we did after that was um, episode 11, birth part one, uh, which was a bumper episode of <laughs> one hour, 32 minutes long. <laughs> An opus. This will not be that long. No. no, the plan is to make this one short and snappy. It's going to take roughly the same length of time as a cesarean section. Hey, nice <laughs> segue. So... Why don't What's you your... kick us off, Roisin? Okie doke. Um, so, um, cesarean section birth <clears throat> is what we're talking about this episode, also known as C-sections or cesarean delivery. This is a surgical procedure by which the baby is delivered. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm just going to clear my throat. <clears throat> Ultimate professional. Um, basically, an incision is made on um your abdomen and this is performed for various reasons the thing that i i didn't write this right because vaginal delivery is not would you say like yeah not possible for mother or baby like for a a reason related to mother or baby so typically the procedure takes about 45 minutes to an hour um and is done using a spinal anesthetic which goes into your back or a general anesthetic which is you being put to sleep um and the choice of anesthetic is dependent on what's going on with you at the time or possibly pre-existing conditions. Those things will be discussed with you in the antenatal period if there's a reason why you can't have one type of anesthesia over another or at the time that they're doing a section, um, if needed. Um, I have a little bit of history for you. Oh, go for it. So initially C-sections were performed post-mortem to try and save the baby's life. So the woman was already dying or dead. Mm. Um, and they were cutting the baby out to try and salvage the baby's life. Um, and I did not know this till I re- did my little bit of research here. Um, that they date back as far as 320 BC. Oh, wow. If you're ca- and I, I said, if you're counting in BC years. <laughs> um, so there's loads of kind of myths. Uh, misinformation out there about why they're called cesarean sections so a lot of people would say that they're called cesarean sections because julius caesar was delivered by c-section untrue oh that was his my mother understanding. was alive until he was 40 
So it's really unlikely that she had a C-section because she would have been dying or dead. And she was not. Um, there's loads of like theories that his their name was actually Caesar because one of his ancestors was delivered by a C-section, which would make more sense. Or then there's like, it's a derivative of a Latin verb and all this shite. But anyway, it's not because of Julius Caesar. Um, actually, in ancient Roman times, there's no records of a C-section where the mother was is was living or survived the mm. procedure. Um, the first survived by both mother and baby is recorded approximately around 1337. And the first C-section recorded for a prolonged or obstructed labour was in the 1580s. Wow. But even as far back as the 1600s, there was a really high mortality rate yeah. with the procedure, like sometimes as high as up to 85% as far back as the 1600s, wow. which is amazing really yeah. when you think of it. Um, yeah. But obviously this yeah. has improved all of the time due to modifications in like the incision type in the procedure. Um, they, I thought this is mad. They didn't use to suture the uterus oh. back separately. They made all the incisions like back in the day yeah, and then just didn't <laughs> close the uterus. They just left, you know, so that's why lots wow. of people would have died because okay. of it. Just so you're reliant like, on it just kind of healing, yeah, stitching itself back together. So loads of like improvements like that, that they realized they could re-stitch back each layer by layer. Yeah. And things like blood transfusions, the um adherence to aseptic technique and the introduction of antibiotics all mm. basically have made it like a very long standing operative procedure and a very safe one. Yeah. Um and one of my other little mad bits of things that I found in my research is a thing which is <laughs> disgustingly titled a self-inflicted cesarean section. Oh. Which is where a woman performs a cesarean section on herself. Oh. And there's quite a number of recorded cases. Um, shockingly enough. Sadly, a lot done because of mental health issues. Yeah. Oh, um, but there are about five known documented successful cases for not mental health issues. And most of them, which I would probably say is kind of a concur like a concurrent thing. So obviously mm-hmm. you'd be having mental health issues acute if you were mm. doing a c-section mm. on yourself um but mostly due to like um unavailability of medical care and being like in a prolonged obstructed labor oh, like wow. in, oh my god like at home or whatever yeah um so in t- uh 2000 this uh woman inez ramirez perez in oaxaca in mexico did her own cesarean section in her house Oh my god! And she was in labor for twelve hours, and nothing was progressing. So she <laughs> drank three glasses of hard liquor. <gasps> she took a kitchen knife. It took her three attempts, but she made a seventeen centimeter incision vertically in her <gasps> abdomen. Oh my god! Starting oh my god. near so the bottom desperate. of her ribs and ending near her pubic bone. Um. And she operated on herself for over an hour before she reached her uterus and pulled out her baby boy. She cut the umbilical cord and then she became unconscious. She regained consciousness 
unused clothes to bandage her oh abdomen God. and then sent one of her older sons to find help. Oh so there was somebody God. else there. Yeah, her other children. Oh my God. Oh my um, God. Poor and then she must have been so someone desperate. came yeah, someone came to help and she was conscious and alert and her baby was alive. And they like did did some stitches there in her house mm. and then she was brought to a local clinic and then on to a hospital about eight hours away and she went underwent surgical repair there of the incision that she had made and both of them made a complete recovery well done Ines do not try at home unreal do not try at home this is not an (laughs) endorsement no No. um so I'm gonna fly through some of the reasons why um people would be getting cesarean sections Mm -hmm. nowadays so as I said, we usually divide them up into maternal reasons or fetal reasons. Um, this is by no means an exhaustive list. And we should, I should say, <clears throat> if you need a cesarean section or you want a cesarean section, you can discuss that through, during your antenatal care. Yeah. So for maternal reasons, um, probably one of the biggest would be maternal pregnancy specific medical conditions. So something like a severe preeclampsia. Yeah. Um, and uh, other pre-existing non-pregnancy specific medical conditions. So like heart issues, some neurological conditions, mm-hmm. some autoimmune conditions and all sorts. Yeah. Um, this is where labor would be considered potentially dangerous for the mother. Yeah. So it would impact your pre-existing medical condition. Um, then some, um, sometimes previous uterine surgery can, mm-hmm. um, implicate having, uh, a vaginal delivery and require you to have a cesarean section instead. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your experience girls of sections being done for uterine fibroids? Cause I so, haven't seen a huge amount myself. So the existence of fibroids that have never impacted a woman like medically or you know gynecologically that have just existed in her uterus and sometimes you'll find that women come in like for their first scan and then it's like oh did you know that you had a fibroid Mm. like that's like that's fine whatever you know sometimes they get bigger in pregnancy sometimes they get smaller sometimes they say the same um but usually kind of I guess once it's noted like they keep an eye on it um but I think if somebody has had like a myomectomy, so if they've had an invasive, you know, surgery in the, like, myoma, uh, then then they are treated as not suitable for labour. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would be my understanding as well. Like lots of women, <clears throat> fibroids are really, they're much more common than yeah. you think. Yeah, but obviously, yeah. if you know that about your history, it might be, something to mention in your antenatal care and inquire definitely for sure Um, and then obviously the other previous uterine surgery would be a previous cesarean section not necessarily to say that if you've had one cesarean section you automatically will require another one but generally speaking if you've had multiple cesarean sections you will require a repeat cesarean section for your subsequent babies Mm -hmm. and then In an emergency situation, a uterine rupture or placental abruption would be a reason for a cesarean section. Um, and placenta previa or a low-lying placenta. 
where yeah. the placenta is covering the cervix where your babies would come out if you were delivering vaginally um, but if that's completely covered by your placenta you won't be able to deliver your baby vaginally and you will be uh, booked for a cesarean section um, in the case of maternal diabetes where your baby is thought to be over 4.5 kilos estimated weight mm. um, and then maternal request so this covers so many uh, reasons from yeah. previous traumatic birth fear of childbirth mm. um, like a poor obstetric history is what we would yeah, what I would have known it written in yeah. kind of notes and stuff which yeah, would cover sure. um, like a major shoulder dystocia um, or a previous significant third or fourth deg- uh, degree perineal tear yeah. um, where you're symptomatic so that means like still having urinary fecal incontinence or mm-hmm. Uh, prolapse issues and um where am I gone have lost me train of thought um this maternal request should encompass maternal choice um, yeah will I go on to my fetal reasons yeah so I had just, wanna... I had well yeah I had written down a few bits about like maternal requests for cesarean section do you want me to come back to that later or do you want me just to add them in now yeah jump in now yeah <laughs> so i um was listening to i went to the, this online conference the npec national perinatal epidemiology you're so Center, studious um conference yeah I, I really am yeah um uh that was last week so it's held once a year and um it's kind of run from ucc down cork um so there was a talk it, the whole theme of the day was all about like choice and supporting choice and then one of the um presentations was from dr michael robson um and he was talking about like cesarean section as a uh, birth choice so um like obviously it used to be a thing you know and amy i think you were looking at like who stuff where they were saying you know keep it like the rate of cesarean section really low but as the years have gone on it has been basically explored in various studies that really a cesarean, you know, a, a choice for a planned cesarean section should be kind of considered part of women's birth choice. So like the changing childbirth study in 1993 said, um, encouraged women to decide for themselves the type of care they would wish uh, to receive, the sort of profession they would wish to carry it out, the place of delivery and the, the degree of intervention um you know in their interesting in their care mm. um and at that stage about 5.3 percent of women in like who were studied in that study or survey um said that they would prefer a cesarean birth um so as time has gone on like the nice guidelines and and the rcog um similarly enough would say that yeah if a woman is requesting a cesarean section like that should be explored like why are they requesting it um and what this guy was saying michael was saying was like a nullip requests a section because of something that might happen whereas a multip is requesting a section because of something that did happen um so it's all about just exploring those um reasons why um and 
kind of looking into it and if it's say somebody that has like a fear of childbirth you know somebody who's never given birth before if somebody has a fear of childbirth well can they you know receive counseling um during their pregnancy to kind of try and overcome this and then if they fully understand like the risks and the benefits of having a cesarean birth um and they really really don't want to go ahead with a vaginal birth well then their choice should be facilitated and if they're kind of let's say assigned obstetrician so say you know for example in the public system or whatever doesn't feel that they can facilitate that then they should refer them on to somebody who can help them with their care if they don't feel that that's suitable for them to do um and then he was talking also about the birth rights um group who are also in the uk do you guys remember we, we had a workshop with elizabeth Prochaska. yeah it was amazing yeah it's really interesting really interesting so she's a human rights lawyer and she is involved in birth rights um so they did a survey of nhs centers in 2018 um and they found that 26 percent offer maternal request cesarean section in line with the nice guidelines um 47 percent partially offered um 15 percent did not offer um maternal request cesarean section and 11% didn't provide enough information when they responded to their, you know, survey. Okay, that's really interesting. Um, so, yeah, so... Um, Do you remember the thing she said at the talk? I, it's always really stuck with me that she was talking about why... The same thing kind of thing, like why would someone be requesting a cesarean? Mm. Um, and that... I can't remember if it was a study that was being done or a clinic and then they were going to be doing an audit of the clinic. But basically it was that if a woman requested that she wanted a cesarean section, say for fear of childbirth, mm -hmm. that it wouldn't be the case that you would say, let's work towards a vaginal birth mm -hmm. okay, and work on why you have fear around a vaginal birth. Mm -hmm. that the starting off point would and should be yes you can have a cesarean yeah and, yeah but also then work at looking exploring the issue yeah with yeah. them and i can't i wish i could remember the percentage but she said like a lot like a high percentage of those women then once they worked through and had kind of antenatal classes and had kind of one-to-one -one time in clinic with a midwife mm, mm. actually then at the end of their pregnancy at the end of their clinic care were like no actually i want to try for a vaginal delivery okay yeah the starting off point should always be yes, yes. your choice is respected yes. okay. and you can have that option it's not like it's not like hanging in the balance for your the entirety of your pregnancy because it it kind of diffuses the whole situation yeah, and that's allows really the good. people involved to look at yeah. the options in a much more honest way yeah Very that's good. really that good stuck with me um yeah that was uh that was a great day that she's really good for. day yeah was it 2016 or 2017 uh oh, 16, 16 yeah. i think yeah I think I was on maternity leave. We went together, Roshi. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and let me see. What else did I have written down there? That's pretty much all I wrote down from that, I think. Anyway, cool. sorry. I didn't mean to cut across. So, no, that was really good. Thank you. Um, 
the baby reasons why um, you might need a cesarean section, um, I'll just fly through really, really quickly. So breach presentation at term. Mm. So this is kind of a, a tricky one. Um, in Ireland, I don't know, are there any uh, obstetricians facilitating vaginal breaches? For first baby... There are... Mm. I maybe don't. not for first, maybe not for first. For for people yeah. who are on, who've had um two, one or two previous vaginal deliveries, there would be people. Okay. Yeah. But it's not offered so as standard. just bear that in mind, yeah. So breach presentation, a term, um, that's your baby coming feet or bum first rather than head first. And mm-hmm. um, other um, mal presentations. So a baby that's not consistently head down so it's fluctuating from either being diagonal head down lying across your tummy or breech um after a certain point in your pregnancy you it will be said to you your baby isn't in an optimal position for vaginal delivery and we would recommend a cesarean section um twin pregnancies where the first twin is not head down and Mm -hmm. other multiple pregnancies um so fetal compromise so this i've would divide into maybe my like wording is wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong, girls. I would say like sort of chronic, chronic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my God, my baby brain. Um, chronic fetal compromise where we're looking at like early onset growth restriction. Yeah. Um, so uh, that you, you will know that are like relatively early like on in your it's pregnancy it's not going to be sprung on you at the end yeah like you'll yeah. be having growth scans and things like that so someone will have kind of broached the topic with you mm. before um and then more acute fetal compromise where you maybe have gone in to have your baby um you've gone into labor and there's a complication yeah. so either a cord prolapse um signs of fetal distress in fetal heart rate monitoring significant meconium um or a potential infection yeah. um which is called chorea choreoamnionitis mm-hmm. um and the other reasons then would be transmissible disease so a poorly controlled hiv um or a primary genital herpes infection um in the third trimester where there isn't enough time for um development of maternal antibodies which yeah. then transfer across the placenta to protect the baby for a vaginal delivery and mm. um, so as i said that's not an exhaustive list but there's a good kind of snapshot of reasons why you might um find someone talking to you about needing a cesarean section in your pregnancy yeah thank you Roshi. have i missed anything ladies no i think that was really comprehensive yeah cute <laughs> So, okay, so I'm going to talk about the different types of cesarean section. So in a hospital, we mainly talk about elective or planned sections and emergency or unplanned sections. So your elective section, um, which is what the majority of sections are. So those are people who you're given a date to come in um, to the hospital and you know the reason why you're having the section and you know the date. So it's all arranged. So for any of the reasons that Roisin has gone through. So you've had time to prepare um, and you will have had a chat with a midwife. Um, you'll know what kind of pain relief you're going to have. You'll know how long you're going to stay. So everything is kind of generally very calm, um, organised, collected. You know what's happening. 
Mm. Um, so typical pain relief, as you said, Roisin, is a spinal anesthetic for that. And if it was something different, you, you, you'd know about it before you went in. So an emergency section or an unplanned section is any section that isn't planned. So um, I suppose the language around this is quite important. So when you're in the hospital setting, we as health professionals tend to talk about any section that isn't elective as an emergency section. Mm. So there's different levels, which I'm going to explain, but not every emergency section is an emergency emergency. So for lots of women, um, they'll find themselves in a situation, lots of women who end up needing an emergency section. It could be for something like, as you were saying, Roisin, um, the labour has stalled um the labour just isn't really progressing the way it should be and a decision is made that the baby kind of has to be delivered by section. Mm. So while we would call that an emergency section and while it's done in a timely manner, it wouldn't be because there was an immediate kind of urgency or stress for you and your baby. Um, so I suppose those ones, it's probably, and I think if, if you're in antenatal classes, you'd find kind of teachers would often refer to them as unplanned cesareans which is a nicer term yeah yeah um because emergency kind of puts this it just kind of paints it in a different light Um, yeah totally totally so that's definitely something to think about so there's four types of cesarean sections so when we're talking about emergencies we're really talking about category one and category two sections so category one is where the definition is when there's an immediate threat to the life of the woman or the fetus Category two is when there is maternal or fetal compromise, which is not immediately life threatening. So those are the ones when we talk about emergencies, those are the ones that have to be done in a timely fashion. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of really when there's an immediate concern for you or for your baby. Um, category three is the baby needs to be born early, but there's no immediate risks to the mother or the baby. So again, I suppose that's still in the emergency category, but again, it's that could be something that can wait a while. And then yeah. category four is elective, essentially. So the operation will take place at a time that suits the woman and the obstetric team. So we were talking there, you've kind of touched on it there, Tara, about the rates of cesarean. So I managed to find... Um, in terms of Irish statistics, I found the National Women and Infants Health Programme statistics. Mm-hmm. So looking at Ireland, so in 2019, we had, because obviously it takes a while for the statistics to be updated, we had a total of 59,352 live births over 500 grams. So that's for the okay. whole of Ireland. And 20,000 of those, 20,006 of those were cesarean section wow so 34 percent very good maths (laughs) (laughs) tara that's insane fast maths did you just did you just i was like around a third okay 34 percent um so it doesn't specify in this what was elective and what wasn't but i just thought that was interesting um and then so the world health organization up until, well, from 1985, up until kind of quite recently, we're trying to like have been consistently saying that the recommended, um, the recommended numbers, yeah, for cesareans worldwide should be 10 to 15%. But obviously this doesn't really, 
capture the full picture. It's quite limiting. So now um, the advice would be, so every effort should be made to provide cesarean sections to women in need rather than striving to achieve a specific rate. I just don't think really in any circumstance can you, you know, 10 to 15% is not to say yeah. that 30% is ideal, but. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Yeah. Well, I just it's think very like, tricky. It's tricky. Yeah. Like, and anytime that we kind of talked about the WHO numbers, like we always say, like, take into account, they are literally thinking of the entire world. Like they're thinking of, you know, people in developing nations and in developed nations like and trying to kind of come up with as generalizable a statement as possible I suppose so sometimes you feel it's not always applicable and probably if you went around you know even Ireland like you would see that in the in the tertiary units there's a higher rate of section because there are more high-risk cases there Mm. um Obviously, I know one has a higher rate because they don't do VBACs, but like there's kind of, you know, there's <laughs> there's different rates all over the place um, and that can be influenced by different factors. That's what I'm trying to say. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> good. Um, I suppose it's just a bit, maybe I'm just, it's kind of hard to take yourself out of that aiming towards a, mm. a set standard. Isn't yeah. It? Mm, mm. Because then... Your, I suppose your worry is that it's just going to be a sort of a free-for-all. Yeah. Know, that the floodgates will open if we don't have a standard to yeah. be pointed towards. That it'll just be like sections for everybody. Which there's nothing wrong with that if that's what's right for yeah. the people involved. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. suppose that's like the thing. You, It's like a reframing of how you're looking at it. But for so long it's been like aim for this golden standard. Yeah. I suppose it's like everything that we talk about it's so much more nuanced than that yeah and I mean there are countries around the world that have an 80 and 90 percent rate of cesarean birth you know that have really high rates yeah Yeah. I suppose you just have to Um, kind of question are those nuanced conversations happening with all of the people involved mm, with mm. rates that high yeah because you would hate to think that cesarean sections were just being relied upon yeah unnecessarily mm-hmm. as a delivery type yeah if the people involved actually don't want to have cesareans yeah. and it's just being looked at as the easy option which yeah. no birth is the easy option no do you know no like but yeah i suppose it take yeah it has to require uh, a lot of thought yeah for sure um and what was there was another interesting statistic in that in amongst those ones that I found. So you can do the quick um percentages, Tara. Okay. <laughs> so in 2019, 1026 of those approximately 60,000 deliveries um resulted in a Cat 1 GA, Cat 1 general anesthetic. Oh, wow. So how many? 1,200? 1,026. So 1,000. 1,000. Very good. Interesting. What's that yeah. point? Fast master. 1.8. <laughs> I don't know. Is it 1.8? <laughs> you changed the podcast topic. This is now That's Fast Master Tara. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could kind of go down a whole rabbit hole of looking at 
different cesarean rates around around the world there's just so many different factors you know at play um one of them i saw i think it was the dominican republic was 58 percent in 2018 yeah just a random fact i suppose that feels a lot when you're thinking in terms of midwifery Mm. and when you're trained to think of protecting and promoting normality Normality. yeah yeah and then yeah you're contrasting that with such a high level of intervention yeah absolutely you i would like to hope that that change in the world health organization approach will foster lots of questioning rather than just a free-for-all yeah approach yeah but that's a big i think that's a big thing to expect yeah for sure of every country in the world to be to suddenly become questioning and not just yeah carry on oh it's a whole change heading down this path it's an entire change of ethos of care isn't it yeah yeah absolutely absolutely sorry i did my maths wrong there i had my uh decimal point in the wrong place it's incredibly disappointing uh, Tara. 0.016 <laughs> yeah oh sorry i suppose actually so i know i gave you the wrong numbers so it was 1000 of it was 20000 cesareans and 1000 of them required general anesthetic are those the numbers i gave you uh, no, sorry. Sorry, I okay i think i think actually <laughs> This is like I've tried. Well, we're not going to be top of the fucking maths podcast okay. now, okay. girls. Okay. So half a percent. I was like, that doesn't see. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, moving swiftly but, but, along. But Tara. equally, equally zero point zero one six of all live births. You can still say that. That's okay. It's a really, really interesting and relevant statistic that I wasn't I dare even able someone to someone to question us on it. <laughs> moving swiftly along, Tara. Yeah. Would you like to talk to us about preparation? About what? Preparation. Preparation, yeah. Sorry. You were going to do that, weren't you? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I just have a Sorry, is this where the information is? Yeah. (laughs) So I only have a couple of points written down about kind of prepping for and recovering from um, a cesarean birth. Um, so I suppose much like prepping for any birth, like some people will, you know, arrange your supports around you. And obviously at the moment we have to think of our COVID bubbles in that. Um, but you know, things like, um, people do like batch cooking for their freezer and, you know, you might have somebody organized who can take your laundry and, you know, do different bits and pieces. You might think about like you're feeding, you know, how you're going to feed the baby and prepare for that. So for some women who are planning, you know, say an elective cesarean birth, um, they may be encouraged to harvest breast milk before, you know, before that day comes. Think Things like that, you know, that can and that can differ from centre to centre. Um, so I had two cesarean births. Um, and they were quite different from one another. The first one was unplanned and the second one was um, a planned. So when I was preparing for the second one, I went to the like anesthetic clinic. So you go and have a chat to the anesthetist and they talk about, you know, your pain relief and how did you get on pain relief before? Have you ever had any issues? Blah, blah, blah. All that kind of stuff. 
Very interesting. But they gave me a leaflet when I was there and it was based on a study that was done in the hospital that I work in. It was, so it was done, a small study done by one of the um, non-consultant hospital doc- doctors. And what the leaflet said was if you wash your lower abdomen twice a day for a week leading up to your planned cesarean, um, as in like, like have a couple of showers scrub your your lower abdomen it will reduce your risk of an infection postnatally mm. so i thought yeah. that was really interesting um and then the other thing that was on that kind of information was like don't wax or shave for a week beforehand because you can irritate the skin yeah. and the skin can still be healing and again that can impact your healing of your cesarean scar so um very interesting very yeah interesting. i thought i thought that was really good and say like any women that i've been looking after you know after after i had that experience um that were like on the ward with us you know if they were if they were here with us for like just say a couple of days and they were you know plus or minus were they going to have a, a cesarean birth like i did say to them you know no harm in the next couple of days give your tummy a really good wash a few times a day and it'll just help to kind of reduce that risk like say if they weren't in the category of people who needed to go to the clinic that kind of thing um so those are kind of the main things that i wrote down like obviously there's as i say it's like preparing for any birth like you know preparing for the arrival of your baby like that's what you're kind of working towards um was there anything specific that you guys thought of that i have just forgotten there (laughs) no no i like i may be being i was probably being a bit dense when i was thinking i was thinking of like the like day before yeah 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 that's immediately where my head went okay which is funny um but um okay um and then I suppose recovery like one of the huge things is is pain relief like it's a major surgery yes it's routine and yes we see it on a regular basis but that doesn't mean that it's not a major surgery so you need to take plenty of pain relief um that's I think that's the most important thing because I think yeah as everybody knows somebody who's had a cesarean so I suppose they're very fairly normalized um yeah and as a result I think they're also lumped into vaginal deliveries where it's just like well it's meant to be painful and just suck it up and blah 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 and I'm just going to get on with it Mm, mm, and a lot of people don't seem to take adequate pain relief once they leave hospital yeah yeah even in the hospital sometimes you know um so for me pain relief is a huge thing because you know once that pain starts creeping up it's very hard to then reduce it back down again so if you've been prescribed like it's it for a lot of people it's paracetamol every six hours and then it's diphene or ibuprofen to reduce swelling so like if you've been prescribed these then take them they will take away all the background pain and then if you need you know top up analgesia certainly while you're in the hospital then you you know you'll get it um so that's a a huge thing resting is a massive thing because you are trying to heal like you were talking about the layers um roshin like that you know the layers of of sutures like you were trying to heal so many layers Mm. of your body and your body's working so hard to do that plus you're trying to take care of a baby plus maybe you're trying to breastfeed that child as well so you have to allow yourself the time to rest uh something that i most definitely did not do enough of on my first um and did i regret it for months afterwards yes i did um eating food to help 
promote healing. So, you know, just eating kind of a balanced diet, some protein um, is very useful. Um, you need to prevent constipation. So drinking plenty of fluid um, and eating fruits like, you know, and, and vegetables. And then in terms of actual wound care, what is on the wound is dependent both on you, your own medical history, um, and it can be down to the choice of the person you know, doing the suturing, like sometimes it's like, oh, you know, Roisin always does clips or Roisin, Amy always does absolvable sutures. Those are kind of be the two fairly common ones that we would see. Like the main thing, like with any wound, you keep it clean and dry. You wash it a couple of times a day. You pat it dry. You're not putting lotions and potions and creams on it. Um, and then some people will have um, like a vacuum style dressing on um, their cesarean wound afterwards um and there's a few different models of those so they come with kind of specific instructions so i would always yeah. kind of say just you know whatever instructions you get to look after those go with that um but generally speaking people can expect to go home with one of those types of dressings on yeah would that be your yeah i think so i haven't done as much time just, postnatal as you roshin i'm not sure i won't obviously say the brand but um typically they would be for seven days yeah that's that's kind of what i thought to be in hospital for kind of three days or up to five yeah or up to five yeah i think up to five is section is yeah so Um, you can typically expect if you have a vacuum style dressing to go home with it for a few days yeah Um, and generally speaking um your public health nurse will be arranged to come out to you to help take that off and check your wound healing underneath um and just to say about the, you were saying about the clips versus the sutures or, you know, what type of mm. cl- uh, closure of the incision. In my experience on the postnatal ward, ward, certainly there isn't a huge difference in healing. Yeah. In yeah. terms of what's used and what's not. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could by all means do your research into the different types and, and discuss it with your obstetrician at the time but uh, as you were saying Tara it's more kind of like personal preference of the person doing the procedure rather than one is way better than the other one for your healing or having a tiny scar or anything like that yeah and just with the did you say about clips that they have to be removed they have to be removed no I didn't say that sorry yeah go on so they will have to come out depending on who's done your procedure they'll specify a day usually it's day five or day seven so again you may be coming back into the hospital or being seen by your public health nurse to get those yeah um removed i always think the thing with the clips is now i don't have any personal experience of having them in myself but i always think that thought of the removal is so much worse than it actually is absolutely like it's absolutely fine having it done i would say 95 percent of the time when i'm removing them on the ward yeah um it's the bit before yeah and you get really tense and really anxious and you're breathing really fast and if you just kind of slow everything down and take a deep breath most people are like oh i didn't even feel that there's a couple of pinchy ones maybe yeah and it's nowhere near as bad yeah that's what you're thinking yeah and actually it's funny that you say that about not feeling it i was so surprised at how numb the area around my cesarean scar was and for just how long like yeah i remember um, that at the time you were like you couldn't feel it i mean it it drove me bananas like there's no like i can't lie about it it drove me insane 
the kind of itchiness and the fuzziness of it for months and months and months um and I would still and I have something days. that people just don't really talk about either like Amy yeah. what you were saying about people are just expected to be getting on with it yeah mm-hmm. like that's a really weird disconcerting feeling to be having oh yeah like nobody's really saying yeah like some so I will still have days here where my scar is really itchy like really itchy and I don't know if it's um my friend who's a beauty therapist told me she thinks it's because I'm half Arab but my scar is healed really thick so in my experience Irish women don't typically have very thick scars but mine is quite thick not keloid not quite keloid but like Mm. nearly there and so I I imagine that that's probably why it's itchy as well do you know like I think that probably Mm. plays into it but uh, of course like my husband always jokes he's like is this like when Harry Potter's scar is burning like when your scar gets itchy (laughs) does it mean something I would respond with yeah when you're really pissing me off it's even itchier (laughs) it's another another day another Harry Potter reference that I don't get Look at you, Amy. This pod is 50% Harry Potter references. (laughs) 40% maths. I read a tweet. (laughs) I read a tweet the other day that said there is no greater flag than an adult who identifies themselves by which Harry Potter house they belong in. (laughs) Hi, what's up? I'm a Gryffindor. You you two are both Hufflepuffs, aren't you? No. Okay, I don't know what... it's the only one I know. I think the Kevs are both Hufflepuffs. The Kevs are Hufflepuffs. Yeah. Yeah. I won't be ashamed to admit that my husband and I connected via Tinder because of Harry Potter. It's so true. <laughs> and the Harry Potter themed wedding was really something to remember. <laughs> Could you imagine if I did that? I, I tell people at work you were doing that you, and me. I actually even like I just couldn't be bothered. <laughs> it's too much effort. It's a lot of work. Um. Okay. So was there anything else? I had kind of one or two other things. You know, we were, um, you were talking there, Roshin, about discussing with the person doing the cesarean about like what type of sutures they were going to use. I was thinking, what about other things that people ask for? You know, in the theater, um, like. I don't know what that's saying. Um, yeah. Like so um, music there's... or, you know, sometimes people will, like I asked my the second time, like I said, the first time was unplanned and I was kind of a bit, it, it was fine. It wasn't a big emergency, but it wasn't planned. So I hadn't really geared myself up for it. But the second time, you know, I, I said, look, can we drop the drape as the baby's coming out? That kind of thing. Like just those kind of, um, those kind of things. Yeah, so there's loads of things, I think, that have probably become more popular in the last five years, would you say? Yeah, I'd say five that is kind fair. of end up coming under this term of gentle cesarean. Yeah. So that's where you would be going for generally an elective cesarean where you have time to think in advance of how you would like the whole scenario to go. Mm-hmm. So it's very similar to doing up a birth plan if you're planning for a vaginal birth. Um, I suppose it just requires a little bit maybe more involvement with your care provider because the environment is that much more controlled yeah, in terms absolutely. of how many people have to be in the room for, to perform the procedure, mm. the sterile environment, the, the lights that's required to be around, all this kind of thing. Mm. So if there's anything that you're thinking of, 
you definitely need to discuss it with your care provider to make sure that it can be facilitated in some shape or form. So as far as saying things like having music played, when your partner comes in, if your partner comes in, where they're going to be, how yeah. much you're both going to see, can you take photographs, can you take video, yeah. um, can you have delayed cord clamping, can... Yeah. Um I'm trying to think now of all the things. Um, um yeah, so sometimes um you know you see these amazing videos where the kind of the baby is literally birthed very slowly. So there's kind yes. of that that's an element of it as well. Um Oh my god, I had something in my head there. It's totally gone. Oh, pulling your own baby. Yeah. Pulling your own baby out. Not something I've ever encountered anybody doing or heard of anybody doing here. No. Um it's very it would be very challenging i think to achieve in reality i don't know maybe if they have better resources where we're seeing those videos coming from but like i would say it's not not that it's not possible here of course anything i suppose is possible but the likelihood of having the equipment the, yeah those long gloves the right word like yeah. you need long gloves that can maintain oh. the sterility of the field around your open abdomen yeah so like it might be a case of it being a bit too much of an ask for it to be achieved and maintain your safety and low risk of infection and yeah. complications and for that. me i have to say the huge thing with it would be the the risk of contaminating mm. The yeah. sterile field like that would that would really genuinely that would concern yeah. me yeah um so i suppose with any of these things it's always on the balance of what is safe within mm. that environment that has to be really well controlled yeah so yeah. like the things that are are really important in that scenario of a, an elective or an unplanned yeah or an emergency whichever terminology you're looking at is that your surgeon is always going to prioritize making sure that you don't have uh the sterile field yeah uh, compli- uh not complicated contaminated uh, contaminated yeah. thank you yeah and um, making sure that like you're not trying to do anything while you might be yeah. bleeding more than they would anticipate so yeah. like anything that you plan for those things will take priority over yeah absolutely um yeah a friend of mine actually um she had an unplanned cesarean for an induction that didn't work um and but but she had the wherewithal to say oh i have this music can i put this on and like a couple of other different things so she was delighted like she said it was such a positive experience and she was so glad that she kind of you know was able to kind of vocalize those things um you know before before the birth um yeah so like I always think it's no harm in kind of even putting those things down on your kind of birth preferences you know just down the end be like look if x y and z happens can we do one two and three I always think it's no harm yeah I had it all written down um I think I'd saved it in my phone Mm. because for a long time every antenatal appointment I went to was like now there's this problem so you're probably gonna have to have a c-section like that my placenta was really low until about 36 37 weeks and it was just out of the way yeah and then I was an unstable lie and then my baby decided to go head down but the head wasn't far enough down so it was like you might not be able to get into labor because her head isn't going to be low enough so it's just like 
touch and go for a long time. So I just wrote it all out the same way I had a birth plan for a vaginal birth. Yeah. That if I end up going for a cesarean, like probably the biggest things for me were like, I'd really like delayed cord clamping if it's possible. And mm. um, that I would really like to initiate skin to skin ASAP, preferably in the theatre rather than waiting till the recovery room. Um, and then my other big thing was that I didn't want, I wanted to my baby's first feed to be with breast milk, whether that was yes. express breast milk that I had to send if my baby was off being looked after somewhere else or yeah. if it was latching baby to the breast. So yeah. those were my big things. So I had them written down because I was like touch and go for a while. And I'm really glad actually that I did that yeah. work myself and yeah. that uh, Kev knew all of those things as well so that if it was and and ending up in an emergency situation yeah. that he could vocalize them for me too yeah absolutely mm. that's really good yeah yeah um i think we might be coming in under one hour oh my god Ooh. okay well let's let's cut it right now then. <laughs> <laughs> can i just really quickly ask did we yeah. cover it in a different episode about like when you go in for a cesarean like what you are told to do in your like appointment letter or whatever. Like you're going, like you're going to be fasting. You're going to take a pre-med to reduce the acid in your tummy. Oh yeah, sorry. No, we didn't talk about any of that, Roshi. <laughs> you're going to get admitted to the hospital. Okay, you're thrown, saying it all there. Yeah. Thrown into a hospital gown. You're going to be asked to wear compression stockings to prevent clots. When you're you're going to be told that you'll pro- you'll possibly need injections to prevent clots afterwards. Is there anything else? No makeup. You're going to sign no nail varnish. No makeup. No nail varnish. Yeah. No jewelry. Yeah. Yeah, that's a wi- and- a whistle stop tour. Yeah. Um, and, and then we had a quick tear fanny as well, didn't we? Oh yeah. Oh lads, we're going to be over the hour now. No, go on. Um, I have so- it here. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, so dear Fanny, I had my first baby via planned cesarean section last year due to intrauterine growth restriction. Is there a certain amount of time that we should wait before thinking about baby number two? I'd like to try for a vaginal birth after cesarean and I'm wondering if the timing between pregnancies can affect various risks. That's a really good question. Thank you so much yeah, for sending that in. Thank you so much. Um, so our consensus was that you're advised to wait one year before becoming pregnant so one year from the date of your cesarean section before you try to conceive again yeah yeah now like obviously some people will become pregnant in a shorter time than that but i think particularly when you're thinking about going for a vaginal birth after cesarean you want to know that your uterus is healed really really well yeah that's what i was just um, and that you know puts you in the kind of lower risk yeah that you're giving yourself the best chance for sure Perfect. okay so we'll finish so thank up you with so our, much for sending that in hope that helps um we'll, we'll finish up with our feminist of the fortnight so she is the one and only saint bridget yay, yay. <laughs> <laughs> um so ireland's only female patron saint um she is also happens to be the patron saint of midwives so that's why we've chosen mm-hmm. her um so Today her, is St. Bridget's Day, but this and today is, is St. Bridget's Day. Days, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. That it would have been better if we could have released this on St. Bridget's Day, but anyway. It would have. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So a lot of shoulda, woulda, coulda. Huh? Her special, her special talents lay in fertility, healing, poetry, and um, something else that I've written down and can no longer read. <laughs> she was a stunner. Anyway, she was an all rounder, and a lovely thing that some midwives um used to do and I think still do around Ireland is on St. Bridget's Eve on the 31st mm-hmm. of January. So St. Bridget is, um, she was known for her healing cloak and mm-hmm. on the 31st of January people used to leave a shawl or a blanket out in the garden to catch the dew and that's meant to kind of bring good luck. So a lot of midwives would do that and there's some who um, I know there was an independent midwife and I remember watching a documentary and she used to leave it out every year and that was the blanket that she used to weigh the babies with. Oh, lovely. Yeah, at home. That's so lovely. So yeah. I know that there's some midwives listening to this that are leaving out shawls or something in a bush. Rebozo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Rebozo. Yeah. So yeah. happy St. Bridget's Day and hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> Hope you Brilliant. had. Okay. Hope you had a good St. Bridget's Day. <laughs> we're gone. All right, and we're, we're gone. And we we're gone. have to go. Okay. Please find us on Instagram at Boomionic, and um, we will hopefully hear see you here soon. Rate, review, and subscribe on it's iTunes great to be back. and all of those things. Um, yeah, glad to be back. Bye. 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 While we are medical professionals and we love answering your questions, this pod should never be used in place of a real-life consultation with a midwife or doctor. If you have a serious concern about your health or a medical emergency, please go to your GP or to a hospital.